Well, good morning, Holy Trinity. I'm uh, glad to be together on this last Sunday morning in August. I'd like to begin with a simple word of prayer, a familiar one. May the words of my mouth and the, may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may know if you've been with us for these last number of Sundays that we've been in a series working our way through Jesus' teachings in what we've come to call the Sermon on the Mount. We are currently in a portion of that sermon where Jesus contrasts the good enough of the traditional Jewish understanding and practice of the law and the actual and substantial goodness of the kingdom of God Jesus came to announce. In this passage, Jesus has got into quite a preacher's rhythm, saying, you've heard it said long ago, but I tell you now, back and forth. And you may remember where he's already been leading us up to in today's reading. Jesus has been saying, the goodness and righteousness of the kingdom of God is better than a mere don't murder. The goodness of the kingdom makes it possible not to hate and to hold others in contempt. God's kingdom doesn't settle for a mere don't divorce, but enables people to be loving and faithful in marriage. God's kingdom doesn't stop at don't commit adultery, but it gets at the heart of the sorts of lust that lead us to use people rather than love people. So it seems to me that this is Jesus' way of contrasting bare minimum morality and rich kingdom goodness. And I prefer the latter. Bare minimum morality, rich kingdom goodness. It's not a hard choice, is it? Except in our lives. Sometimes then it's a challenging choice. I mean, really, can any of you parents imagine how you'd respond if a son or a daughter came in at the end of the day and said, hey, mom, hey, dad, I didn't murder anybody today. I'm going to guess you would not be very impressed. Or husbands and wives, I wonder what would happen if your spouse sat next to you at the end of a long day and whispered these sweet little nothings into your ear. I didn't commit adultery even once today. I mean, wouldn't that be disturbing? This is, this is the thing Jesus is trying to get at. The kingdom of God is not about just barely keeping a, you know, a, a basic morality. It's about goodness, deep rich goodness. Jesus is inviting us into a life that is far better than just keeping rules. He literally gets to the heart of how we might live richly in the abundance and the goodness of God's kingdom. See, this is a righteousness that's rooted in love rather than rooted in concern about behaving in a way that others will like or approve. So this brings us now to the contrast on which we'll focus this morning. Remember the reading? Again, you've heard it said that to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all. Jesus seems to be saying that keeping your oath, if you make one, is good. But even better is simply speaking words of truth. Words of simple, loving, gracious truth. 
Yesterday afternoon, we got back from a week away at a remote cabin at about 8,000 feet in southern Utah, about halfway between Zion and Bryce Canyon National Parks. We were there to work on our next book projects, and so it was a week about words, but in another way, it was a week very free of wordiness. There wasn't a television. The cabin was fitted out with extra slow speed internet, which I was tempted to see as a liability, honestly, but came to feel that it was actually a feature of the place. On many days, the silence was potent and enveloping. It was a beautiful setting in which to take time to reflect on this gospel reading, these teachings of Jesus about how we speak. So going back to our gospel reading, I think Jesus is actually telling us that rather than adding weight to our words, our promises and oaths are actually empty and impotent words. I promise, I swear. Remember using words like that when you were a kid? Words like these and, and adult versions of them don't add a thing to our influence. It adds nothing to the weight of our words. Actually, language like that detracts from what we say. I mean, sometimes in our, we, we attempt to bolster our words with the oaths or promises or really, 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 I mean it. <laughs> uh, it's the fruit of insecurity. Or maybe it's the result of exaggeration or dishonesty in the way I've used words in the past. But if we learn to speak honestly and simply, we simply won't need to reinforce what we say. And remember, Jesus says, don't swear by your own head. You can't even make one hair white or black. Now, my wife, Jim, would disagree since she's been making white hairs black for a while now, but that's a completely different point. Jesus says that whatever we might be tempted to swear by actually belongs to God. I mean, we could paraphrase what Jesus is saying, something like this. Don't swear an oath at all. Don't swear by heaven. It's God's throne. Don't swear by the earth. It's God's footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem. It's God's city. Don't swear by your own head. God made your head. You see, this seems to me to be the bottom line. It's alignment with the mind and heart of God in the words that we speak that gives them kingdom weight. It's alignment with the mind and heart of God in the words that we speak that gives them kingdom weight. In the same way that Jesus says that he only speaks what he hears the Father saying, we could learn to speak words of simple, potent power when we speak in harmony with God's Spirit. Now, whenever I come to study a passage in the Sermon on the Mount, I always feel like I have to turn to Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy. It just seems to me to be the best commentary on those lines, at least that I've found so far. So as I was working through this passage, I came to this little line in, in his book. He says, Jesus goes right to the heart of why it is people swear oaths. He knew that they do it to impress others with their sincerity and their reliability, and therefore seek to gain acceptance for what they're saying and for what they want. But how about this? Now, these are my words, not Dallas's. You know, we could to decide, we could decide simply to be sincere and reliable rather than using oaths and promises to look sincere and reliable. Being sincere, being reliable, being gracious, that would carry weight. So when we say yes, we can simply mean yes. 
and not maybe, or perhaps, or even a hidden not really. Or when we say no, we can mean no and not a hidden maybe. Jesus says that anything more than this kind of simple talk, simply put, and rather bluntly, finds its source in evil. Jesus doesn't pull any punches about this. Again, I love how Dallas explains what Jesus means by this comment about evil in the way that we speak when it's not simple. He says the evil intent is to get one's way by verbal manipulation of the thoughts and the choices of others. See, I think the reason we need to say what we mean and mean what we say is that we're called to speak in the spirit of God's kingdom. And God's kingdom kingdom is singular and simple as it relates to truth. There's something else I think that we have to realize here. And I think we forget this in our profoundly wordy, wordy world. And that is this. Words are powerful. They are immensely powerful. I mean, words may be small, but words are potent. And I think the question is, how will we learn to speak with the sort of simple, gracious potency with which we see Jesus speaking? I I think it might help us if we were to look to our Romans reading and remember these very familiar words. There, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I mean, we know that the pattern of this world is to be manipulative with words, to present false impressions with words, to fill the air with empty, impressive Words that are more likely rooted in greed or anxiety or fear or even simple uh, empty self-interest. But we're invited. And what a good invitation it is to be renewed and refreshed in our thinking. We're invited to see the values and the virtues and the priorities of God's kingdom as central. We're invited to grow in our vision of the kingdom as the horizon against which we think and feel and do and, yes, speak. And we can be transformed in this way, and that is very good news for us. And as we're transformed in this way, we'll find that we're able to speak the kinds of impactful words Jesus speaks. Good words. Good words. Now, it's interesting that we have two words in our vocabulary that literally mean, in their essence, good words. One of them we use in church services like this one to describe a blessing that we might speak at the end of a gathering. The word is benediction. I mean, it comes to us from the Latin, something like bene dicere, meaning basically say well. See, good words can give something of kingdom substance and goodness to others. Benediction. It's not just for us pastor types. It's a way of speaking blessing to another. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. The other good word is the one that we usually hear as a fond remembrance at the funeral of someone we care about. The word is eulogy. It comes from the Greek, eulogios, good words. 
And when it comes to liturgies, isn't it a little unfortunate that, that sometimes we've waited to say the good words when someone's no longer there to hear them or to be blessed by them? good words? We're invited to speak good words now. So in the spirit of these good words, I'd like to close. And by close, I don't mean in one minute. I'm going to use a pastor trick. And by close, I mean in about 10 minutes. But I'd like to close by sharing three specific kinds of good, simple words that I really think we especially need today. First, I think we desperately need words of encouragement. I'm remembering a time in September of 91, I had the privilege of joining a team traveling to Kiev in the Ukraine to teach and train church leaders. If you remember your history, fall 91 was when the Soviet system was coming to pieces. And we happened to arrive a week or two after the climactic events of that fall. As we gathered on one of the last evenings of the training, one of our team members quoted a very simple line from one of Paul's letters. It's this one, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as in fact you are doing. I mean, what could be simpler? Who could argue with that? Except that one of the gentlemen, an older, quiet, gentle man, his name was Sasha. He was one of our hosts and he stood up to say through the interpreter, you're from America, so you don't understand our Soviet experience. We never know who we can trust. We don't know who seeks our good and who seeks our harm. And because we don't know who we can trust, we don't encourage one another. It's not safe. How would you respond to that? Would you have the wisdom of Solomon to know what in the world to say? Though I had no idea what to say, thankfully, one of the older you know, senior team members of our group thought for a moment and then offered this comment. He said, my friend, we will find it very difficult when we have to wrestle between being Ukrainian and being followers of Jesus. If you'd heard the spirit, it wasn't condemning. It was actually freeing. Because the next thing we did was we said, this is a word from the kingdom of God. This is a word authorized by Jesus. This is a word to Americans and Ukrainians and every other people on this earth. It is a great invitation. And I wonder if we could in this room tonight take the risk of obeying that word, of stepping into the kingdom invitation it represents. And you looked at the group and they were very quiet and pretty uncomfortable. Except then Sasha, the man who made the comment, stood up and he had the man next to him stand up. And I couldn't understand a word he was saying because he wasn't speaking English, except the other guy started smiling. And then big bear hugs and kisses on the lips, which made me incredibly uncomfortable, but it was very culturally appropriate for them. They began to encourage, people began to stand and encourage one another. I wonder about our American experience right now. There are things about the experience we're facing. It makes it hard, perhaps, to do some of the things Jesus says are native to the kingdom, like speaking words that are simply and graciously true. Or in the case of what I'm saying now, speaking encouraging words, affirming, especially maybe those you find yourself at differences with. So I think we need words 
of encouragement. Second, I think we need words spoken of justice. Truth needs to be spoken about wrongs, personal and corporate, that are rooted in our lives and in our community. We're living at a time when many words are being spoken about centuries-old and deeply systemic wrongs in our nation. Good, just words need to be spoken. Words that serve the righteousness of God's kingdom. And until now, there's just been too much silence. And one of the challenges I think we face in, in the face of these painful injustices is finding ways to speak words as Jesus does that are full of both truth and grace. Now, by grace here, I don't mean nice. Words of justice that need to be spoken may not feel nice to some, even if those words are spoken full of grace and kindness and goodness. But then truth without grace is also not the way of God's kingdom. We've got to remember Jesus lived and spoke in a culture and in an empire where injustices very much like those being rightly protested today and even worse were commonplace. Jesus was not afraid to speak things that offended power. Jesus is not reluctant to break with the religious conventions of his Jewish community. And Jesus speaks such words, empowered by kingdom grace and love. He's a master. But how hard it is to follow this way of Jesus, but how healing and freeing it might be if we learned to follow him in this way. And so we need words of justice. And then finally, I think we need words of blessing. And again, maybe the hardest one to bless these days is the one with whom we deeply disagree. It feels like our culture has lost its way when it comes to respecting and honoring people with whom we disagree. But we must remember, I think, that the great commandment is not to promote our own perspectives and belittle the perspectives of others. The great commandment is rather simple like this gospel passage, love God, love your neighbor, period. Jesus is inviting us to let those words sink into the way we use words. Our words must reflect this kingdom priority. This is, by the way, at the heart of God's kingdom project. And wouldn't it be good for us to speak in harmony with God's kingdom intent? I think it would. You see, Jesus pulls no punches when he says elsewhere in the Gospels, remember these words? Bless your enemies. Oh, my goodness. Bless your enemies. I mean, just trying to do that on the freeway feels impossible sometimes. But Jesus is talking about something bigger than that. Bless your enemies. Bless the ones who curse you. Can you imagine that as a political strategy today? See, Dallas Willard often said that maybe the best test of whether we're actually growing in the power and the reality of the kingdom would be this. The degree to which we are increasingly and more naturally loving our enemies. That's a high bar, isn't it? But see, if the kingdom was getting into us, 
and shaping our assumptions and our expectations and our vision of other people and the vision of the purpose of our life. That is what would little by little begin to happen in us. That is just how powerful the kingdom of God is compared to the kingdoms of this world. Now, it's such a challenge that we're going to need the guidance and the empowerment of God's spirit if we're ever going to make our way forward there. And in each unique situation, we're going to need, our, need to ask ourselves a question like this. What words might I speak in this difficult situation that would have the ring of both truth and grace? What words might I speak in this difficult situation that would have the ring of both truth and grace? How might I speak in a way that would do good to the one who is opposed to me? I wonder if maybe the words of a biblical blessing would give us some vocabulary for such a venture. It comes from Paul's first letter to the church of Thessalonica. And as I read them, I hope you'll let them bless you. And these might become words you could have ready in your own soul as you have conversations in the future. Paul says this. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. See, in the coming hours, days, and weeks, we are going to speak many words. A lot of them might be on Zoom. Nonetheless, I wonder if we can offer ourselves and our tongues to Jesus as an instrument available for whatever good work he might wish to do through them. Can we in a season of so much pain and offense and injustice come to God as Samuel came saying something like, speak Lord, your servant is listening. And then might we speak from that which we hear. Can we follow the way of Jesus who said, my words are not my own. I say only that which I hear the father saying. You see, by God's grace? Of course we can. We can let our words be full of simple, gracious truth. And by the guidance and empowerment of God's spirit, I believe we will. That's at least my prayer. Amen.